Morning, everyone. Thank you for your welcome. Please keep your Bibles open there at Romans 5, and you'll find an outline, I think, in the uh, handouts that you were given at the door. Uh, Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Bible and that it is your word to us. We ask now that by the Holy Spirit, you would teach us your word, keep us in the truth of your word, and we ask, Father, that uh, you might move what goes into our hearts swiftly, what goes into our heads, that you might move it swiftly into our hearts. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, when there's a young man who's intelligent enough to want to marry one of my two remaining daughters, he will need to be smart enough to ask me first. And he will not know what my answer will be because it is my pattern to not give any indication to suitors about my daughters what my answer will be. One has survived so far. (laughs) But this person or these young men, they will not know what I will say or do when they approach me. They will not know my answer. And so they should be scared. (laughs) They should be very afraid. And if if he is not scared, he will be. (laughs) When I answer the door to him (laughs) with my blunt machete. (laughs) Why blunt, you may ask? (laughs) Just use your imagination. If you have uh, sons or grandsons of eligible age, please let them listen to the first 30 seconds of this talk. (laughs) Now, when we all come before God, and we all will one day, what will God say to or do with you? And can we know what God will say or do? And if so, how can we know what God will say or do? And more specifically, can we know that God will not pour out his just wrath on us? Because we are certainly deserving of it as guilty sinners. Answer to these questions... Romans chapter 5. Come with me to verse 1. The first one of the first word of verse 1 of chapter 5 is therefore, which means that what he's, a, what he's about to say depends or results from what he has said before. And in this case, verse 1, therefore, since we have been declared righteous. By faith. Now, that phrase, declared righteous by faith, is kind of like a summary statement of chapters 1 to 4. Let me just very, very briefly summarize, because I know you've been working through chapters 1 to 4 so far in Romans. Let me just briefly summarize it for you. It's just a summary, I won't say everything, but Romans 1 to 4 tells us that all people, including you and I, therefore, all people have sinned. That is, turned away from God. Chapter 3 says, says, no one is righteous. 
before God. That is, we have lived in ways that fall short of God, fall short of God's glory. And that means that no one is right with God. No one is righteous before God. Therefore, all come under the wrath of God. Wrath is just another word for anger, but in the Bible it specifically refers to God's just punishment on sins. Now, because God is utterly, utterly righteous, wrongdoing must be punished. And so we are all, every single one of us, are in massive trouble, not just because all of us have sinned, but because God has said that the punishment for sin is death, eternal death. But we also learn, particularly in chapter 3, that because of Jesus' death, which God tells us pays the penalty for our sins, we can be right before God. We can be justified. Justified means declared right before God. So in verse 1 of chapter 5, declared righteous by faith, you could translate as justified by faith. And that's not because we are right in and of ourselves. No, we are sinners. But it's because our sins are being paid for on our behalf by Jesus. And this justification, again, being declared right before God, does not come about because of anything we have done, but purely because of what Jesus has done for us. And that is received and embraced by us by faith in Jesus. So we are justified by faith in Jesus. Which brings us to chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, then these things result. And they're in your outline. Peace, hope, and assurance. These are the benefits, or some of the benefits, not all of them, but these are some of the benefits, and these are the ones these passage mentions, of being right with God. So, let's have a look. One, peace. Verse one. Therefore, since we have been declared, look at that, righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, peace here means not at war. It doesn't mean inner tranquility or something like that. It means no longer enemies with God. What that means is that before we were not at peace with God. Why? Because sin made us enemies with him. We'll see that in verse 10. Enemies means and sin means that there is no relationship that we had with a God who is holy and sinless. But now, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace. We have peace with God through Jesus. It's because Jesus has removed the debt of death that we deserve for our sins, that we owed for our sins by paying it for us in his death on the cross. That is, Jesus removes that which put us at odds with God. 
uh, Jesus re- through Jesus, God's anger, his just wrath, is redirected onto Jesus instead of us. And so there's peace. But more than that, the concept of peace in the Bible is not simply the absence of hostility. Peace in the Bible is the presence of positive relationship. You cannot be at war with someone. You can be at peace with someone in that sense by not fighting with them, but you can totally ignore each other. But peace in the Bible says, no, it's more than that. It's being good and right relationship with each other. And this is what happens with those who have peace with God, who have been justified, declared right with God by faith in Jesus. And so verse 2, we also, look at that, we have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. That is, we have obtained access to God, relationship with God, through Jesus, through him, by faith in Jesus, into this grace. This referring back to the relationship of peace we have with God through Jesus. Um, Now, when it describes peace then, and the grace uh, that that is, that means that all the things that come with being at peace with God... Forgiveness of our sins, justification, heaven and so forth. All of this is God's grace. Grace, uh, you would have learnt a couple of weeks ago, maybe, whenever you did chapter (laughs) 3. Grace, you would have learnt, is just a Bible word for gift. God's gift to us. It's something that is undeserved, unmerited, unearned. Once you earn something or deserve something, it stops being a gift no longer a gift that's a wage or a reward no this is not earned not deserved it is a gift so the state of peace that we have in relationship with God entirely his gift to us well how wonderful it is then how wonderful it is and it will be to knock on the door of heaven when the time comes And not to be at war with God, but to be at peace with him. That's a first benefit of being right with God that this passage mentions. Point two, being justified by faith also means we have hope. Again, look at verse two with me. Put your eyes on verse two, the second part of it. And... We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So the hope is in the glory, in the hope of the glory of God, which I think here broadly means heaven. In heaven will be where God is fully revealed in all his glory. And we will share in that glory with God. This is what we as Christians look forward to, isn't it? This is what we long for. This is our hope. And because of Jesus, we have it. And that's why he says, we rejoice in the hope. That's got to be a reason to rejoice, isn't it? Now, having this hope, this great hope of heaven means that we can also then rejoice 
in the sufferings that we experience now. And the reason we can, Romans says, is because it will lead to stronger hope. Look with me at verse 3 and 4. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. Now, just to be sure, this isn't saying that we rejoice in the afflictions or the sufferings, it's the same word, in, uh, in, in and of themselves. What we rejoice in is what they produce. Well, how does this work? Uh, it says sufferings or afflictions produce endurance because there's nothing to endure if you don't have suffering, right? Or you don't have afflictions. Enduring in the Bible always means continuing to trust in Jesus. That's what endurance means in the Bible. That no matter what you go through in affliction, you continue to trust in Jesus. Now, when you endure or persevere in that way, then it says it produces proven character. Again, whenever the Bible talks about proven character, it talks about the testedness or the provenness. Is that a word? I don't know. It is now. The provenness of faith always means that in the Bible when it talks about it. And when our faith is tested and proved, it makes it stronger, doesn't it? It's like muscles. The more you use them, the more you test them, that's what makes your muscles stronger. So the more our, uh, our faith is tested and proved, the more we will trust God. The more we will endure. And the more we will trust in God's promises about what is ahead our hope and hope is a wonderful thing is it not because knowing the glory of God that awaits well isn't that what helps us get through our afflictions and so the loop continues and so we rejoice not in, it, in the suffering in and of itself, but what it produces, faith and hope. Now, I do want to say at this point that it is important that we understand that hope in the Bible and hope that it's, as it's used here is not wishful thinking for the future, which is what most people understand by the word hope. I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow because I just washed my car. Might rain, might not. I'm just hoping it, it doesn't. You don't know. But that's not the concept of hope in the Bible. The Bible speaks of hope in that it is in the future, yes, but hope in the Bible is always certain. It is always secure. It is assured. Now, hope is always assured because of the promises of God, but also because of verse Five. Look with me at verse 5. It says, This hope will not disappoint us. That is, because it will happen. Hope only disappoints if it does not happen. But the Christian hope is secure. The Christian hope is assured, and so it won't disappoint. Why? 
or verse 5. Because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And that brings me to point three of your outlines. Assurance. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace, we have hope, but we also have assurance. Assurance of this peace. Assurance of this hope. And why we can have this assurance is because God's love has been poured out in our hearts. Now, just to be sure again, uh, uh, God's love here is talking about God's love for us. And that has been poured into our hearts, which he's talking about, and like an inner awareness, a heartfelt reality of God's love, which has been enabled by the Holy Spirit, who fire hoses it, pours it into our hearts. Now understand, this love is not fanciful, mushy sentimentality. But it is a real experience of God's love that is made manifest in us. So what does that look like? Well, it may be a deep sense of appreciation of God's love. Uh, it may be just the, the, the warm encouragement knowing God loves you. It may look like joy at God's love or humbling gratefulness. It may be just knowing that you get it. God loves you and that it means something to you. These kinds of things... I think is what it means here by experiencing God's love poured out by the Holy Spirit into our hearts. And this experience of God's love is not romantic fantasy either. It is based on the objective truth of God's love for us. What is that objective truth exactly? Verse 6. Look at that with me. Verse 6. For while we were still helpless at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, helpless there um, means helpless to save ourselves. Well, what does Christ dying for us, the, there, the ungodly, have to do with God's love? Look with me at verse 7. For rarely will someone die for a just or righteous person, though for a good person, Perhaps someone might even dare to die. Now, in verse 7, I'm not sure exactly what the distinction is between just or righteous and good, but the point is very, very clear. For someone who is just or good, there might be the slightest possibility that someone, you, 
might die for them, if necessary, is extremely rare, but possible. But look at what God did, though. Verse 8. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, wait. Isn't that the same thing that makes us right with God that we learned earlier in Romans? That Jesus died for us? Isn't that the same thing that justifies us? Exactly. Yes. That which justifies also proves God's love. You know, if God was only righteous... He could have demonstrated his righteousness by giving us what we deserve for our sins, yeah? That would have demonstrated God's righteousness. But in giving us his son, it shows, it proves that God is also love. God demonstrated his righteousness by punishing sin God demonstrated his love by sending his son to take that punishment for us. In other words, Christ's justifying death for us was a demonstration of God's love for us. But get this. Understand. This was not when we were good. (laughs) This was not when we were righteous. Far, far from it. It was while we were still sinners, verse 8. It was when we were not good. It was when we were not righteous that he loved us. Who does that? We barely give our lives for someone good, let alone give our lives for someone who's a sinner. Not in a million years. You wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. But what's more, even though we wouldn't give our lives for someone like that, or if we wouldn't give our lives for someone like that, what chance? What chance would you give your child's life For someone like that. But God. But God, verse 8, proves his own love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ, his son, died. For us. Do you get that? You know, I like Phil. He's a bit soft. <laughs> a little sniffle keeps him away from church. But I still like he's a he's a good guy. 
He's my favourite senior minister today. (laughs) And look, in my wildest, wildest, wildest imagination, I can envisage the minutest, minutest possibility that I might maybe give my life for him. Highly unlikely, probably wouldn't, but there's a remote possibility. But I tell you what, I'd never give one of my children for him. Never. And neither would any of you for anybody. God's love, beyond dying for a good person, God's love goes beyond even dying for the sinner. God's love is giving his son for you. Do you get that? Who loves you like that? very same the very same blood that justifies us is the same blood that proves the love that saves us does that mean something to you Does it fill you with awe and humble gratefulness? That's the Holy Spirit pouring the love of God into your heart. And that means you can be sure. You can be sure because you know God loves you in Jesus. And if he loves you that much and in that way, you can have no doubt he'll save you. That brings us to the last reason in this passage anyway that we can have assurance. And it's the how much more argument of the Bible. Would you look at verse 9 with me? Much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? These three words, much more then, or how much more. 
should be like a warm blanket around us. It's saying that if God has already done the hard thing, justifying us through the death of his son, that's what blood means there, then of course God will do the easier thing, which is to save us and save us from the punishment that we deserve for our sins. He's already put, done the hard thing by putting that on his son. The hard part was punishing Jesus. The easy part is then not punishing us and saving us from it. And because he has saved us from it, he will save us from it. Ha! Huh, I hear you ask. How can we be saved from it now, but be saved from it in the future? Well, Jesus has already died. He has already paid for our sins. And through faith in Jesus, we are now declared righteous and right before God. We are saved now, yes. But the Bible also talks about how salvation is kind of completed at the day of judgment. When God says, you see him, and God says, no punishment for you. Come in. And that will be the easy part for God, to welcome us in. So if he's done the hard part, you can be assured of God's response when you see him. Or put another way, verse 10. Look at that with me, verse 10. For if... While we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved through his life? Now, to reconcile means to bring two parties who were at war or not friends to a point of peace. And that brings us right back to verse 1, where we have peace with God. And again, it says there, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son for our sins, even though we were enemies at that time. That was the hard part. Well, how much more then, now that we are reconciled friends, will God save us? If Jesus died for his enemies to bring them to heaven... Well, of course, now that we are reconciled friends, will he save us? If Jesus died to bring his enemies to heaven, of course he'll welcome us as friends. That's the easy part. And Jesus will because he has risen to life. If he can save us in his death, he can certainly save us in his life. So, if you have been justified by faith through Jesus, you have full assurance, full assurance of the hope that we have. We are at peace. God loves you. God gave his son for you. He has reconciled you. So, rest assured. I wonder if you have that assurance. 
get that assurance? And I wonder if you've put your faith in Jesus. Because, you know, the only way to have that assurance is by putting your faith in Jesus, in his death and resurrection for your sins. That's the only thing that can give you assurance. If you don't have that assurance, why don't you put your trust in Jesus today? What's holding you back? Why not do it today? Why don't you talk to one of the team uh, straight after the service? There's no time like the present. But if you have put your faith in Jesus, what does this mean? It means get the party started. That's what it means. That's the response. Look with me at verse 11. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've now received this reconciliation through him. Now, look, get the party started. It's probably a fairly loose translation of rejoice in the Bible, but that's the vibe. It's this. Rejoice is this. Joyous, grateful, God-pointing celebration. That's what rejoice is. Rejoice. We've been declared right with God through Jesus. Rejoice. We have peace with God through Jesus. Rejoice in God's love shown through Jesus. Rejoice that we are reconciled through Jesus. Rejoice that we are now and will be saved through Jesus. Rejoice in this grace. This gift, rejoice that it's not what we do. We could never, ever do enough. But rejoice in what Jesus has already done for us. Rejoice. And rejoice, man. Rejoice that when we knock on the door of heaven and stand before God with Jesus next to us. You can be sure, brothers and sisters, you can be sure that there will be no crazed, machete-wielding madman. (laughs) But there will be a loving, excited father who will say something along the lines of, welcome, (laughs) welcome, come in. Have I got something to show you? You will not believe what you are about to see. So rejoice.